Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for joining us on History FM Radio on LiveParanormal.com and History.fm. From paranormal to the unexplained history, it all happens here. Looking to enhance your radio experience? Participate in live interactive chat 24-7 with our radio show hosts and other like-minded people on www.LiveParanormal.com the only interactive social chat room supported by full interactive media. Stop by now and join in on the fun. Hi, this is Dana Workman from Haunted Highway on Sci-Fi, and you're listening to The Ghost Host, Sophia Temporelli on LiveParanormal.com. Boom. This is Bill Murphy of Sci-Fi Channel's Fact or Fake Paranormal Files, and you're listening to the ghost host, Sophia Tipparelli on LiveParanormal.com. Hey everybody, this is Rex Williams, the medic from Destination Truth, and you're listening to the ghost host, Sophia, on LiveParanormal.com. This is True TV's haunting evidence investigator, Patrick Burns. And Ghost Huntress author, Marley Gibson. And you're You're listening listening to Ghost Ghost Host, Sophia Temporelli. And Michael Perry. And we're here, hello, we're here at the Ghost Host with Sophia Temporelli and weekly... Paranormal.com. Weekly, weekly at (laughs) liveparanormal.com. This is Stefan Brigatti from Pacific Coast Paranormal, and you're listening to the ghost host, Sophia Temporelli, on LiveParanormal.com. She rocks. This is Christopher Sanders with My Ghost Story on Biography. You are listening to the ghost host with Sophia Temporelli on LiveParanormal.com. Hi, this is Professor Lloyd Auerbach, parapsychologist, and you're listening to The Ghost Host with Sophia Temporelli on LiveParanormal.com. This is author Alexandra Holzer, and you're listening to Ghost Host Sophia Temporelli. Hi, this is Jeff Belanger, host of 30 Odd Minutes, founder of GhostVillage.com, and author of lots of your favorite paranormal books, and you're listening to the ghost host, Sophia, on LiveParanormal.com. Boo! This is Nick Groff, executive producer of Ghost Adventures, the original documentary in Ghost Adventures, season 1 through 10, and executive producer of Ghost Stalkers, author of Chasing Spirits, The Building of the Ghost Adventures Crew, and founder of NickGroffTours.com. You are listening to the ghost host, Sophia Temporelli, on LiveParanormal.com. Tune in. Hey, this is Zach Bagans from Ghost Adventures, and you are listening to the ghost host, Sophia Temporelli, on LiveParanormal.com. 
That's right. It's the Ghost Host Show with Sophia Temporally on LiveParanormal.com. And congratulations, Sophia, on over 12 years of broadcasting here on the on LiveParanormal.com, and now on GhostHunting.com, so available on every format, too. Also, just added uh, Spreaker, too, as well, uh, for the show. Your call-ins are welcome, 347-202-0316. That's 347-202-0316 as well. Feel free to jump into the LiveParanormal.com chat room. It only takes a second to sign in, get yourself an avatar, and you're part of the LP family. Thank you, Rob Sarek, for providing this format each of and every week, and to all of our moderators, thank you guys so much for patching us through at live events over the years. And Facebook shares, people that share this show, Tracy, the Paranormal Informer, Paranormal Technologies, Don, Travis, Harvey, Audra, and Julia, thank you guys, and more, thank you for sharing this show each and every week. Uh, today, we welcome Weird New Jersey Magazine contributing writer, paranormal investigator, graveyard photographer, and urban explorer, Jim Paris. Everyone visit WeirdNJ.com. That's WeirdNJ.com. Facebook, Jim Paris. TikTok, Akladama389. Also, uh, upcoming, we have Afterlife Explorations, Paranormal Investigators, Zachary Stone and Brett Madsen. That's going to be on the 3rd of February. Uh, my Haunted HQ Investigators, Daryl Marston, Jeff, and Trey Bader will be on on the 17th of February. Ghost Seekers, Texas, Lead Investigator, Alex Fountain. He'll be on the 17th of uh, February. Boozy Brothers, Paranormal Investigators, Pablo, Pandora, Adam, and Diego will be on the 24th of next month. You don't want to miss any of these upcoming broadcasts as uh, they're booking their spots right now, some others too. So like the ghost host Sophia Temporelli on LiveParanormal.com Facebook fan page to learn of the guests as we learn of them real time. Check out the membership packages here. They start as low as $2.99 a month. And Rob Sert, the site founder, He's great at rewarding uh, the members here. So a lot of autograph books by some of your favorite paranormal authors and more. Uh, support the vendors here on Live Paranormal, too, as well. And uh, archive shows, if you miss anything, they're available as free MP4 iTunes downloads on the homepage of Live Paranormal. Let's bring on the host here. Sophia, congratulations on celebrating over 12 years of broadcasting here. Thank you. I can't believe it's already been 12 years. Well, you're doing a fantastic job. You've helped a lot of people through the years. Just got off the phone. My biological family, as everybody knows, has reached out recently and found me and wished me a happy birthday. And thank you all for your birthday wishes. And Owen, my nephew, he just had a birthday. I see Maisie. They're all getting together with my sister Kelly and my brother Jim. And thank you guys for the birthday wishes today as well. That was pretty cool, huh, Sophia? Yeah, it's really funny to see you get confused still. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, like they said, oh, we got something to say to you, and I knew I knew where that was going, but it was very obvious you still don't know where phone calls are going. Right. Yeah. Well, no, it's all new to me this year. You know, just the past yeah, few months, I know it's hilarious. new to them too. It's like, hey, a, a baby brother shows up out of the blue, and a son to my dad, Art. You know. <laughs> Yeah, you were like, I, I hear uh, my sister Kelly in the background. I'm like, uh, that's your sister-in-law, Molly, Dad. I know I know she was headed up there. I didn't know if she actually got there yet. But, yeah, it's like, wow. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. Well, Sophia, you got the, the Twitter, the Instagram, all these different things. Where can people find you? I'm on Twitter, at Sophia Temporally, it's 1L, and Instagram, just at Sophia Temporally. Uh, yeah, my name's too long. With a long during name. social media. Yeah, we you with a long name there and everything. Well, Sophia, tell us about your guest today. 
Today, we welcome Weird New Jersey Magazine contributing writer, paranormal investigator, graveyard photographer, and urban explorer, Jim Paris. Everyone visit weirdnewjersey.com, face Jim Paris, TikTok, Akladama389, A-K-L-A-D-A-M-A-389, and let's welcome Jim into the show. Well, Jim, thanks for coming back. I know we had some glitches the last time, but everything's working great today. It's perfect. Uh, yeah, good to be back, you know. It, it's nice to be here again. Yeah, thank, thank you. you so much for coming on, and thank you for bearing with us through all the technical difficulties that happened when Blog Talk Radio switched over. Um, it was a surprise to us, and uh, we appreciate you for coming back on today. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so to start off, Jim, can you tell the audience a little bit about what inspired your passion for the paranormal? Uh, you know, just as a kid, you know, it wasn't as easy to find as it is now. When I was a kid, all you had were these occasional ghost shows and, and books. You know, I, I had mainly books. You had to go to the library and find books about ghosts and all that kind of stuff because there just wasn't anything there. But, you know, I was I was having weird experiences as a kid. I told mm-hmm. you in our first interview about, you know, the little toy that I saw going down the stream. And uh, I I lived in an old house and an old sex in the town, and there were always ghost stories going around. But you know, there was never an internet; you could never really fully understand what was going on. Absolutely, I mean, definitely. I know that people lived without the internet, and you didn't know the difference between having the internet or not. But as a Gen Zer, um, I can imagine trying to research especially a field like the paranormal in libraries and stuff and trying to narrow down your search when there's so many possibilities of what you're trying to look for. Yeah, it was just, it, 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 there was nothing there. It was just, you just, whatever you could find in the library, and that was very limited. And, and now there's the, everything in the library, all that's really just outdated information now. And back then mm-hmm. it was just theories and, you know, there was no video, there was no audio, there was nothing. But you know, now it's everywhere. Absolutely. And I know you do some urban exploring. When did that kind of come about for you and start um, to go into all these amazing abandoned locations? Uh, it, it started in high school. I actually just started a new high school. And uh, I met some new friends. And they they had been urban exploring, you know, for probably a year at that point. They were probably only 17 years old. And um, mm-hmm. they said, uh, we're going to take you to the old paper mill. And this was an old abandoned paper mill on the edge of uh, the Delaware River in New Hope, Pennsylvania. It's now been converted into apartments. And um, it, it was a pretty surreal experience, you know. Just um, they brought We went there at night. It was a summer night. And I remember just looking around this old sort of gothic-looking abandoned mill on the edge of a river, and they both of them crawled down into this pitch-dark hole. And we didn't have flashlights. They were lighting like cloth on a stick, like torches. That was their um, way to go down the hole. And oh all I could hear was these voices calling from this dark hole saying, Jim, come down here. I'm like, what? <laughs> And it was just, you know, straight out of a movie, just this pitch dark hole. And I remember I climbed into the hole and hit my head on a pipe. I'm like, what the hell is it? When I was down there, I could see the torches and the lights. 
and they led me around through the uh, the bowels of this old paper mill. It was right out of a well, movie. Yeah, go ahead. That's in, no, I was just going to say that's incredible to start so young. I mean, from your experiences as a child to, you know, finding people that kind of led you deeper into exploring the unknown in high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, um, there, it wasn't even, it didn't even have a name then. It was just, no, people just, you know, were started to explore abandoned places. There was no mm-hmm. name, nobody had a name for it yet. And they just got me into it and I loved it. And I, we, from then on, we're just like, let's go find as many abandoned places as possible. And um, these, these friends, and it was just, it was so much fun in high school to be doing this. Absolutely. I mean, it was years before Weird New Jersey ever came around. Yeah, but I mean, I think part of the fun thing, too, is finding people that you share experiences with, especially when you're young starting out in the field. You know, having peers that you can relate to and share those common interests is, I mean, such a great thing to have. Um, I know when I was in high school, I had a friend that I would sometimes do investigations with, and it's a lot more fun when you are able to share that with your friends. Yeah, um, yeah, um, I, and they were they were going. They had found an abandoned mental hospital. They wouldn't take me there for some reason. I'm like, yeah, I want to see that. I want to see that. I'm like, oh, I don't know if we want to take you there. You know, they were worried my parents would find out. They'd get in trouble or something. And I was like, but yeah, it just it was so much fun to do. And, and we had the same, you know, sort of a interest, the sort of like dark interest, you know. Mm-hmm. We we all like the same music and and it was great to come to this new high school and make these new friends like this. Absolutely. Did you ever get to go to the hospital on your own when you were older? Um. Yeah. I mean, I I, I it may have been the same hospital. I, I eventually explored a few. There was an abandoned asylum nearby, and I did explore. It was one of my first uh, urban exploring. You know, I'd always it was um uh I forget the name of the place. It's all torn down now, but um there was a rumor that all the buildings are connected underground by tunnels. That's how they could move uh scary patients, you know, dangerous patients around without them getting mm-hmm. out. And um it was sort of my first on my own sort of urban exploring. I climbed in through one of the windows and I went down to the basement thinking, I'm going to find these tunnels. And when I found them in the basement, I heard a door slam in one of the floors above me. And the only way out was to go upstairs toward that sound. And it was pretty wow. terrifying. And um, I don't know, was it a ghost? Was it a squatter in the ha- in the building? I don't know. But I got out of there so quick, I didn't even look, and I jumped right back out the window. <laughs> So yeah, you got to I mean, build up your your courage when you start doing this because you know you, you know it takes a few times of um, exploring. You know, I you know I did run into people exploring, and I, I learned how to deal with that situation. You know, and it's usually just you know be friendly, like hello, what are you doing here? You know, I'm just looking around. You know. Yeah, I feel like running into actual living people would be much scarier for me than an actual ghost on an investigation like that. 
Yeah, yeah, it, it does happen, and you, you do you do learn to deal with it, you know. And it, just I, to me, the, the best way to deal with it is just to walk out there and say hello to them, and you know, see what happens. That, that's, you know, yeah. That's always the best way to deal with it, you know, from experience. I just, you know, I've been able to talk myself out of places I've been caught in, you know, by just doing it that way rather than try yeah, run and hide. Or, 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 it's you definitely know, interesting yeah. uh, hearing the experiences of people who go into buildings like that. Um, just some of the things that people find, it's <laughs> – I don't think – uh, I have the guts to do that, so I definitely commend you for, you know, going out there and trying to explore these buildings and see what's in them. Yeah, I mean, you never know what you're going to find. Every building is different. Everything is different. Sometimes it looks really interesting on the outside, and you walk in on the inside, um, and the entire building has been stripped bare. There's no walls. There's no anything left, and you're like, wow, this is disappointing. And you never know mm-hmm. what what's going to happen in any building. Yeah, definitely. Um, I heard of this one place in L.A. called Murphy's Ranch that um, sounded really interesting. There was supposed to be, like, all these buildings and stuff. But um, when you look it up online, all that's left is a cement, like, water basin. So, I mean, there's, like, nothing there, really. So it's incredible, you know, the stories you hear of the buildings and sometimes when you actually look it up or go there, I mean, there's just nothing left. Yeah, yeah. I'll give you a little hint about urban exploring. Right now in New Jersey, we just had our first snowstorm in two years. For two years, Mm -hmm. we had really mild winters. And we just finally got our first snowstorm this week. And one of the things that it reminded me of this, it will show people, like urban explorers, what houses are abandoned because the driveways get covered with snow and you don't see any tracks in and out of the place. And you realize, well, no one's going in and out of there. That place is empty. And you really can't tell them Mm. just driving by without the snow. But when the snow shows up and it stays for a week or two and there's never any tracks in the snow, you realize, oh, that place is abandoned. There's no one back there. That's a little trick, you know, like if you're out there looking for places to um, explore, snow is a great way to tell you whether anything's going yes. on back there. So that's no, I mean, that's definitely need... really yeah, interesting. Ahead. I'm from California, so I definitely would never have thought of that, but it makes sense um, to be able to watch the tracks like that and see if there's any movement. Yeah, and I, it's funny because I, I was just driving around yesterday working out, and I noticed two properties that are abandoned. I'm like, wow, there's no tracks in their driveway. And these, and these are, I know, I know one of the houses is a real nice house and it's really that house is abandoned. And how long has it been like that? And there's no tracks in there. No one's coming in and out of that house. So it's a giveaway. Do you think weather like snow or, as you said, you haven't had a snowstorm like this in a few years affects the activity, um, makes it more active? Yeah, I, I think um, I, I think what I think when a house has been very empty for a long time and you're the first person to walk in there, you can get hit mm-hmm. with an, an enormous amount of activity. If, if there's, you know, if it's a haunted location and no one's been in there in a long time, the first person in there in a long time 
you're going to really see a lot and experience a lot. There was an abandoned tile factory near me, and I don't think anybody had gone in there looking for ghosts. And I went in there, and just activity was happening all around me. I caught over 30 voices and just bangs and footsteps everywhere. And no one, and probably because no one had been in there in such a long time. Yeah, it totally makes sense. I mean, if I was waiting around for a long time and someone finally showed up, I mean, you would have so much you want to say and do. Um, when you're capturing stuff like that at a location, what do you find to be the most useful piece of equipment? Is it an EVP recorder? Is it just taking photos? Um, how do you find that you best capture stuff? Yeah, I, I don't use any, any fancy equipment. I don't use um, – uh, I just use my camera, you know, and I tell people, you know, you you want to go ghost hunting, and they're like, oh, this equipment. I'm like, you don't need it. All you need is a camera that records. I mean, your cell phone works to an extent, but, you know, the it kind of has this narrow when you go to play it back. You really want to have the whole um, 1080 um, full screen view of everything because you want to go back and look for right. details. So you want to have at least the you – know, there's a, a really cool little camera called a Canon PowerShot, and it's a camera that you can fit into your pocket. And I used that mm-hmm. for a lot of years. And uh, it will give you a good half hour or 45 minutes of walking through time. The battery will. And um, that thing worked great. It called all kind of EVPs. It called all kind of activity. But it was a little camera that you could keep in your pocket. You don't have to spend a lot of money, and you don't have to turn out the lights either. You can go in there in broad daylight, and and you can still capture it. I think the ghost shows kind of make people think you got to walk around in the dark and use night vision, and no, you don't. You don't have to do that at all. You can get the same evidence without doing that at all. No, I completely agree. I mean, I am a paranormal investigator, and so, you know, pretty much every investigation is done at night. But you, as someone who lives in a haunted house, you can capture activity at any time of the day. And I prefer investigating during the day because I personally do like being asleep at night. So I think it's good for everyone to know that like, it can happen any time of the day. Yeah, we don't really understand, like, the ghost world, their comings and goings. Are there more people around at night or are there less people around during the day? Uh, you don't, we don't really understand that well. So um, I think, you know, I think some of the shows are doing day investigations now. They're, they're kind of like, yeah, you know, there's stuff going on during the day. It, it, and I think it may be more active at night because it's usually when people are sleeping and I think ghosts don't want to be seen. Some of them don't, so they can be more active. But it, it doesn't have to be that way. I feel like for me, at least, what I, I feel like might come across as more activity is just the fact that at night, since more people are sleeping or in their homes, there's less cars going by, there's less ambient noise, so you're able to notice more that takes place that you may miss during the day. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, like a lot of people ask me, like, how do you find all that weird stuff? And I'm like, what do you mean? It's right under your nose. It's hap- It's all mm-hmm. around you. It, it's it's just right there. You're not paying attention to it. I think maybe during the day you're watching TV, you're talking to people, you're working, and things could be happening. And you're just not hearing it. 
but when night and when things are quiet and people aren't around, you know, you're not doing as much, you're sitting there relaxing and you start hearing or seeing things, you're like, oh. It's just that your attention is different now. It's there the whole time. You're just paying more attention to it now. Yeah, definitely. I think that's just what people miss during the day that maybe people notice more at night because they're more hyper aware if there's a sound um, out of fear. But I'm not sure that, you know, day or night is one's more active than the other, but I feel like it's just how much we notice is the difference. Yeah, yeah. I think I think a lot of people just don't see anything. I mean, remember one time I used to work in New York City, and I dropped a, a wad of cash on the ground, and I didn't realize it. And this is New York City, you know. And um, I went into a store, and then it came out, and then I'm like, oh, oh, where's that money I had? And I'm like, oh no, oh no. And I walked down, I looked next to my car, and there it was, just laying on the ground. And like two dozen people walked by, and no one saw it. And just you know. People are just not paying mm-hmm. attention, even with Absolutely. something like that. <laughs> and yeah, I, I, and I don't. I mean, yeah, I don't understand how people walk through the world and don't pay attention, don't notice these things. Because I, I'm hyper. You know, I'm very aware of everything that goes on on around me. I'm always paying attention to everything because you know that's my focus. You know, I know that there's stuff going on. But I don't understand how people just don't pay any attention to anything. It's probably just, you know, getting lost in their own mind, thinking about life or what they have to do when they get home or, you know, what meetings they have or what their kids' schedules are. And I think that's why a lot of people miss a lot of things or, you know, live in a haunted house and explain stuff away. It's like, oh, this object moved. It must be the kids or it got knocked over. And so there's always ways to explain stuff away or, you know, ways to fit what you see into your own life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just, you know, once you start paying attention, then you start seeing it. And it's Absolutely. Been there the, it's been there the whole time. And speaking of your travels, you were a contributing writer for Weird New Jersey. If you want to tell the audience how that started for you and some of the articles you wrote about. Um. Uh, one of um, it started as like a friend of mine said, you know, you you're. I had a job as a courier at the time, and I was going around. I was like seeing the entire state of New Jersey because the job required me to drive all over the state, mainly the courthouses, because I worked for lawyers, mm-hmm. and so I'd go to a lot of courthouses. And um, somebody said, you know, you're going all around all over the place. Um have you seen Weird New Jersey, the magazine? And um, I'm like, no, I never heard of that. And um, I went to like a Barnes and Nobles and there one was, and there was a little thing in there. Hey, if you see anything, send us your material. I'm like, okay. And um, I sent a couple things in and then they got published. I'm like, oh, cool. So I just kept doing it. And um Eventually, um, I started to focus mainly on um, graveyards and, and uh, gravestones and um, famous people buried or notable people buried in cemeteries, and I did a lot of that. And um, it's funny. I kind of feel there's a lot of YouTube channels who do that now. They go around mm-hmm. and they look for famous graves and they tell you the story. 
and a lot of guys do a really good job with them. Like, hey, do you know I'm the kind of, I feel like I'm the guy who started that. But if we were doing it in print before YouTube, before people were doing it on video. But uh, there's a lot of there's people doing it in multiple countries now. And I'm like, well, and I, I enjoy it. I watch what they do. I'm like, oh, this is really interesting. I, I, I feel like I'm the guy who started all that. Because I, I, I was literally the first person at Weird New Jersey who probably started to just focus on cemetery stuff and gravestones and the history of gravestones. And um, there's a whole language of gravestones from the Victorian era. Like every plant, every flower you see on a gravestone had a meaning to the people in that era that we've completely forgotten. We don't, we don't understand the symbolism anymore. But all those, you see a little plan on there, that specific plan had a specific meaning. But mm-hmm. we don't, we don't, we, it's all completely lost on us. For sure. Who was your favorite headstone that you saw and what, which one was the most unique? Uh, my favorite head grave. Um, uh, uh, so many. Let me think. Uh, the, well, one of the most unique ones, um, I don't think, uh, well, I found these um, painted gravestones. And, um, and they're all throughout um, Middlesex County in uh, New Jersey. Um, mm-hmm. In Perth Amboy, there were terracotta factories. And um, they employed a lot of immigrants. And um, in Europe, it's a tradition to make a grave for a family member who has passed away. It felt more personal, more special if you made a grave for them. And so... Um, Terracotta is clay, and what you can do with terracotta is um, you can add color to it. You can add any color you want to it. And so um, there's a tradition in, throughout this um, this um, Middlesex County in which you find these graves with color on them. And some are red, some are blue, some are, um, you know, orange, you know. And, and they're really mid, and it's really only for, like, family members of immigrants. So and they worked in terracotta factory. They had access to the materials. So they just made a gravestone for their family member. And there's a bunch of them. And I don't think they exist anywhere else. I think maybe somewhere out in, in Chicago area where they also had terracotta, um, they had terracotta graves made. But I think it's really exclusive to um, New Jersey. And they're they're just crazy looking graves. They've got color all over them. Some are blue, and um, one of them is the the Bruno Grandelis grave, and that's a terracotta mm-hmm. grave. That's in Metuchen, and um, there's a lot of colorful graves in this small little graveyard in the town of Metuchen. And uh, Bruno Grandelis grave, he was a five year old boy who um, died. Of, I think it was probably in 1905. He died, and um, his father um, uh, made this immensely detailed grave of an angel taking a little boy out of a coffin and flying him up to heaven. And it richly detailed it. This was a master carver. And on the back of it, it said, Tuo Feche Padre, or Tuo, Tuo Padre Feche, which was um, Italian for your father made this grave for you. 
and it's really just it's one of a kind. There's nothing else like it in the entire United States. And his father was clearly a, a master carver, but no one can find another single piece of artwork by him anywhere. His name's not on anything. Um, they know from the um, uh, that he came over and lived in Perth Anvoy in during that early 20th century, but he just disappears. Mm-hmm. They don't find his death or him living there for long or dying there or anything. So he wow. he was there. He made the grave for his son and just disappeared. Wow. Yeah. It, I mean, you really find out a, so much interesting history on not only the graves, but the locations. Um, I mean, I think it's really incredible just all the research you do. Yeah, you know, it, it took a lot of uh, grave walking. I, I tell people I've been in 700 cemeteries, and it probably have been. And, and they ask you, is that every cemetery in New Jersey? I'm like, actually, I don't think it is. You know, there's, wow. there's you know, um, we, cemeteries are like society, the way a, a town or a, a county is uh, structured, you know. There's like the Italian sex in the town. There's the uh, Russian sex in the town. And the cemeteries are set up the same way. There's a Russian section and there's an Italian section. And there's this section and, you know, this ethnic group or this race, you know, they're in one section and it's set up the same way. But I, I've always found that, like, the poorer sections you know, have the more interesting graves. I mean, there's rich graves. You know, rich people have nice graves, and they have really decorative graves. But the poor people who make their own graves, they can be even more interesting. Yeah, it's amazing just to see, you know, so many of these headstones that are hundreds of years old, just how much they've just like been preserved through time um whether they're worn or not i mean if you can still see them and you know know where this person's buried it's incredible um i do know we have to take a quick commercial break though but we'll be right back with more questions it's the ghost show with sophia temporarily on liveparanormal.com and uh yeah jim sent me some of those images too of the terracotta graves and they have middle sex they're worth uh, looking up and checking out and today we welcome weird new jersey magazine contributing writer paranormal investigator graveyard photographer and urban explorer jim paris so for jim uh facebook jim paris that's p-a-r-r-i-s and tiktok aquadama 389 the ghost host show coming up with the uh, late edition of the show we'll be right back Hi, this is Dustin Perry, the Paranormal Rockstar, and you're listening to The Ghost Host with the most, Sophia Temporelli, only on LiveParanormal.com. joining us on History FM Radio on LiveParanormal.com and History.fm. From paranormal to the unexplained history, it all happens here. Looking to enhance your radio experience? 
participate in live interactive chat 24-7 with our radio show hosts and other like-minded people on www.liveparanormal.com, the only interactive social chat room supported by full interactive media. Stop by now and join in on the fun. Zach Bagans from Ghost Adventures, and you are listening to the ghost host, Sophia Temporilli, on LiveParanormal.com. Not only am I Dave Schrader, but I'm Dave Schrader of Travel Channel's The Holzer Files, and you're listening to ghost host <laughs> Sophia Temporelli on LiveParanormal.com. I feel left out. I wanted to throw myself into your mix of, of voiceovers now. I love it. You know, uh, it's almost like we didn't leave break. Oh, Dave Schrader added himself an impromptu style with the uh, sound bites there. And Jim and Sophia, you're back on. All right. All right. Thanks. Hey, thank you again so much for coming on today, Jim. All right. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I know as you were corresponding with my father this past week, you were telling him about your late friend, Delmore Schwartz, who is an acclaimed poet and renowned among fellow published writers. Do you want to tell the audience a little bit about your friendship? Um, well, I didn't know him. Um, I, I, I found him. I, I sort of rediscovered mm-hmm. him. Um, I, I, I decided to, you know, since I was doing all these graveyard uh, uh, stories, I said, I'm going to do a story. I'm going to call it uh, the Dead Poets Society of New Jersey. I thought this was a great story. I, I was going to go around find all these well-known, famous poets and their graves. And New Jersey has a lot of them. Mm-hmm. We have Walt Whitman, and he has a cool grave. We have uh, Allen Ginsberg. We have uh, William Carlos Williams. I have Joyce Kilmer. And um, we have a lot of really notable um, poets, you know. And um, through my research, I came up, this name Delmore Swartz came up. I said, who the hell is that? And um I found this grave is in a town called Emerson. It's a big, big Jewish cemetery in the uh, town of Emerson, and it was really hard to find this grave. I'm, I'm, I went back to the office like twice. I'm like, I can't find it. And um, it, it took me so long to find it, but I did find it. And um, uh, Delmore Swartz was, uh, during his lifetime, especially um, about 25 years old and all, he was considered mm-hmm. – a poet on the same level as Robert Frost and T.S. Eliot and all the famous names. He was praised as one of the greatest poets and writers uh, in America at the time. But he also suffered from uh, mental health issues. And um, he had a lot of great success early on. And um, I think from the age of 25 to the age of almost 40, he was, you know, a, a a, a powerhouse of writing. He was well respected. Um, at one point, uh, John F. Kennedy invi- invited um, him and Robert Frost to come to the White House and recite poetry. And Dunbar Swartz never made it because by that point he was so bad, uh, suffering from uh, mental health issues, he never even showed up, which is funny. He stood up to president. But um, Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, he was um, Lou Reed's teacher, 
poetry teacher. And um, uh, Lou Reed um, idolized Dunbar Swartz. He thought he was the coolest thing ever. And he became a really good friend of Dunbar Swartz. And um, he wrote uh, two songs about him. And one, In My House, I think, or My House, is one of the songs, which is it's kind of a funny Lou Reed song because um, it's about him playing with a Ouija board and he thinks he contacted Delmore Swartz. And it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a funny song. And uh, he sings about, you know, his friendship uh, with Delmore Swartz. And, um, uh, but the thing is, is that Right now, in the 21st century, Delmore Swartz is completely forgotten. If you went to um, a bookstore and tried to get a Delmore Swartz poetry book or anything in print with Delmore Swartz, it's going to be really hard to find. And uh, it, it, you're not going to find anything in Barnes & Nobles. He's just not there. But there's um, a poet, poem online called All Night, All Night, which, which I think is a fantastic poem by Delmore Swartz. It was really about him struggling with mental health issues is what the poet is about. But he died in 1966. And so there wasn't much for him in terms of mental health care. Mm-hmm. He was just, but he was, you know, when you read his um, autobiography, which came out in the 1970s, it just told the story of this wild guy. You know, he, he was um, a teacher at Harvard and at Princeton University. And the students would find him sleeping on the grass, you know, before class, and they'd have to wake him up to tell him to come teach the class. And he would come teach class with grass stains all over his um, his uh, suit and everything. Mm-hmm. You know, he was he was really just this living on the edge kind of a guy, but at the same time, this brilliant, amazing poet. Yeah, I find it so interesting that, especially in poetry, the people who write it, you know, infuse so much of their own life into it, um, really for people to decipher and try and relate to in their own words. Um, So it's amazing how much you can learn about someone and then see their life being put into, you know, these allegories and analogies um, in their poems. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that the world has not rediscovered Delmore Swartz yet. I have a friend of mine, and he's a high school poetry teacher. And I said, do you know Delmore Swartz? He goes, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. The poetry world has not forgotten Delmore Swartz. He's a big one. He's a good one. But the poetry world knows him. You know, the rest of the world doesn't know he was even there. And, boy, what a story his life is. And it's really just completely forgotten. And I'm, I was so excited. I'm like, oh, my God, I, I did that. I found one of those stories. You know, when you're researching and you want to find something like a Delmore Swartz, like this amazing talent who is completely forgotten. He had this completely wild life. And, and you want to be the guy that brings that out. And, uh, and Winter Jersey has not published my Dead Poet Society story yet, you know. I'm a little disappointed, mm-hmm. but uh, when they do and people say, who the hell is Delmore Swartz? Boy, they're going to be in for a surprise. And I think that's just, you know, great that I rediscovered this guy. Cause he is he's just not, he's not out there at all. I mean, you can Google him, you can learn a little bit, 
but you really have to be one of these hardcore poetry people to know his name. And outside of this sort of very small poetry world, nobody knows who he is. I'm like, but hey, I found him. I rediscovered him. I've, I've been to his grave. And I, I was hoping, you know, when I was doing the research, if Lou Reed had already passed away, and if Lou Reed had been still alive, I'm like, because when I found out the connection between the two, I was going to contact mm-hmm. Lou Reed and say, tell me everything you can about Delmore Swartz. Because I don't think anybody who ever interviewed Lou Reed brought up Delmore Swartz. I'm sure Lou Reed had tons and tons of stories and information he could have given people. But nobody ever asked them, you know. And if, if Lou Reed was still alive when I discovered Delmore Swartz, I would. After, I'm sure Lou Reed would have loved it, you know. Yeah. Finally, somebody wants to hear about Delmore Swartz, and he was friends with him all the way up to the end. You know, the end, the last few years of his life. Uh, Delmore Swartz was he died in the Chelsea Hotel, and now that's an infamous hotel mm-hmm. in New York City. I think mm. Sid and Nancy spent their last days there too, which is interesting. Wow. Yeah, I, that's where like Sid. Said, you find out so much incredible information on people and places. It really is amazing just to hear all the history that you've acquired through the years. Yeah, yeah, and and like and so Lou Reed would go to the Chelsea Hotel and and begged Delmore to talk to him. Delmore wouldn't talk to him. And Delmore died at 52 years old. That's pretty young. But um, I think those last few years, he was reclusive. He wasn't writing. He wasn't talking. He just, you know, he was fully stuck in a mental health issues. I think he had depression. And I think the depression was had taken over his life at that point. And, um, he, he he just he had a heart attack and I think as the story goes he was dead for a few days before anybody came looking. Uh, but when he wow. died, um, I think it was 1966, they did a big funeral mm-hmm. for him. They did a, they went all out for him. There's parade down the street and everything. It was a big deal. And it's funny yeah, that the someone Wikipedia. like that, yeah, someone like that. Oh, the Wikipedia. Just, just, what, what's that? I'll go ahead. I'll go ahead. I, I'll, I'll, it's, it's funny that someone who was that revered has just disappeared. He's lost. Yeah. See, the Wikipedia you sent over an amazing story about him and how he lost an inheritance to, uh, to an executor and a lot of things that looked like it really haunted him over his lifetime. But that's the thing about poets, and it was like Peter James when I co-authored his book, is that he was kind of like the person you had in your back pocket. You know, it wasn't necessarily out there among all the psychics and all the other renowned poets like, you know, he was. It something regionally in about that time of New Jersey. Out here we had Charles Bukowski on the West Coast that people knew about, but not necessarily widely known. So that was something interesting about his uh, poets is that they write about their time and their era and their inner turmoil within their poetry. And it's, it doesn't come out until later. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Charles Bukowski. I, I, I was really into him, too. And um, at the time, I, I used to try and call him on the phone <laughs> when he was alive. Huh. And I had a phone number that was supposed to be his phone number, but a woman would always answer and say, there's no Charles here. <laughs> I guess he didn't want to talk to anybody. It's funny. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think... <laughs> 
incredible. I mean, you really have put so much time and effort into this. And as you were saying, you wrote an entire oh, article on these these uh, poets and their graves. How many did you research and actually go find their grave in New Jersey? Well, we have Walt Whitman, and that's a really cool grave. And that's that's a lot of people go visit Walt Whitman's grave. That's in Camden, and that's a cool grave. It looks like an old sort of a Roman grave, and that's the way that uh, Walt Whitman designed it. And um, people have carved their names. Even Allen Ginsberg went and um, visited Walt Whitman's grave. That's that's a big uh, place that people go to visit. Um, William Carlos Williams is um, that's that's a funny grave because him he is actually I don't know if you're familiar with William Carlos Williams poetry, but uh, he wrote various sort of minimalistic kind of poetry, and um, his grave doesn't even say that he was a poet on it. But he's literally about ten feet away from Joey Ramone, which is pretty cool. I thought and Joey Ramone and William Carlos Williams are very, very close together. And, but yeah, if, you I study, mean, if you study poetry, you're going to come across William Carlos Williams pretty quickly. He was a, a really standout guy. He was really well. He's in the top ten of American poets, you know. Absolutely. It's incredible, I think, to see things in hindsight, too. Um, obviously, they teach poetry in high school. And yeah, I wasn't really that great at that particular section in English. Um, but as I get older, I feel like I understand it more than I did as a 16, 17-year-old. So it's interesting to see just, like I said, the correlation between their words and what they're going through in life. Um, and, and just learning more about them. Um, because when I was in high school, yeah, I didn't, I didn't get it at all. My teacher got mad at me. I was like, I don't get this. And she thought I was messing with her. I was being serious. Yeah, I mean, because poetry can be written in a little bit of a complex language, and you really have to understand words and, and really enjoy how words yeah. are arranged. And, um, and it, it, the point of the poetry has to be explained to you. And, and and that could be lost on the student, you know, just handing them a poem and say, read this, what do you think? And, you know, there's some complex stuff going on there. And, and that complexity should be explained to the student so they understand it. And, and and a lot of poetry teachers don't do that. They just, you know, you know, look at the rhythm, the rhyming, how the words are set up and how the sentences mm-hmm. are constructed. And all those things, you know, it's complex. And um, that complexity is never explained to students, and that's why they kind of don't lose interest in it, because it's not really full explained why this is special. Yeah. My teacher, um, yeah, she said she gave us a poem on, like, during set during Civil War time. I don't remember who well, wrote audio it. Kind of, Sophia, your audio has just kind of dropped out a little bit there. And Jim, yours is coming and going. So when I thought we had a glitch-free show, that happened. So if you're either. <laughs> I'm guessing that's the rain. Um, yeah, I'm oh, here. But, but uh, Jim's yeah, having she, that a little bit too. She gave us a Civil War poem and said, "How do you make? How does this make you feel?" And I was like, "I don't. What if this doesn't make you feel anything?" And she she got really mad at me. I was like, "I don't know what to tell you." So I think it's much more interesting, like you said, when you have it explained to you and 
and more of the backstory instead of just like this is what it was written on and that and you understand more the complexities of it all and how it relates to the author themselves yeah yeah because because you know you know poetry is really complex if you ever try and write poetry and send it into a poetry magazine and just throw it back at you and you're like why like you 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 don't get it i'm like well nobody ever explained to me what it was and so yeah, so it, it is really complex and it can be really tricky. And those things should be explained to people, and they probably maybe even turn a few students into decent poets if they did that. It, but they don't. They just sort of hand it to you and let you figure it out. Absolutely. And once again, Jim, the hour has flown by like every other show with you. Um, so. Please let the audience know anything you want to mention, any upcoming investigations, websites, events, or as any TikTok videos you're making. Um, so, yeah, just let everyone know where they can find you. Yeah, I'm still on TikTok. I mean, I'm, 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 I've been trying, I've been, you know, thinking about going into places, but, you know, the, the weekend, it's winter here and our, our winters are, uh, I can only go out on the weekends. And um, the weather's been just bad. And now with snow, it's even worse. But uh, paranormal happens when it happens. You know, there, there's always interesting things going on. Uh, upcoming events, I, I don't think I have any right now. I'm just, you know, out there exploring and trying to find something different. You know, I always have, um, you know, you, you try and get permission to go into places and you wait for that permission to come back. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and then you try again for premise, and people are looking like, why do you want to go in there? I'm like, because it's weird. And, and they don't yeah. get that. You know, so it's funny. I did just, I there was an abandoned um, um, a warehouse very close to my house, and I noticed the gate was open. I decided to go in there. It was just maybe two months ago, around Halloween time. And I walked in there, and it was trashed. People would go in there and trashed everything. And it seemed, like, unremarkable. And as I'm walking out, there's a voice. And I heard it clear as day, and I was recording, and I caught the voice on tape. And then I'm walking down the set of stairs, and bag, plastic bags are being thrown out from under the stairs. I'm like, what the hell is that? You know, I just come from that area. There was nobody there. Mm-hmm. Who's throwing plastic bags out from under the steps? And I run down there and I look. And there's nobody there, and I'm I'm pretty freaked out. And I just kind of left and went home and looked at the video. And was like, yeah, what what the hell just happened? And I want to go back to that place, but it's funny because now they've started to work on the place. I don't know if they're slowly tearing it down or repairing it to turn it into something else. But now I can't get back there anymore. <laughs> It's like, oh, there was something going on there. I can't wait to hear more of your stories. Obviously, you're always welcome back on in the future, Jim, and I can't wait to see where you go next. Um, Thank you again so much for coming on today. All right. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Jim, so much. All right. right. Uh, Well, fantastic show today, Sophia. Absolutely. Jim was such a great guest as always. I heard my grandma was listening to today's show, so I want to give a shout out to my legend, my bonita abuelita. I love you, grandma. Um, Thank you all for listening. This show definitely not be possible without all of you, and I will talk to you guys again next week. Bye.
Yeah, it's here in the queue. It's the Ghost Host Show with Sophia Temporelli on LiveParanormal.com. Our guest today, Weird New Jersey Magazine contributing writer, paranormal investigator, graveyard photographer, and urban explorer, Jim Paris. Everyone, uh, for Jim Paris, uh, he's on Facebook. It's P-A-R-R-I-S and TikTok, Aquadama389. Upcoming, we have Afterlife Explorations Paranormal Investigator Zachary Stone and Brett Madsen. That's going to be on the 3rd of February. My Haunted HQ investigators, Daryl Marston, Jeff, and Trey Bader. They're going to be on the 17th of February. Ghost Seekers Texas lead investigator, Alex Fountain, on the 17th of next month. Uzi Brothers paranormal investigators, Pablo Pandora, Adam, and Diego. That's going to be on the 24th of next month. And we have other guests that are booking their spots, too. So like the ghost host, Sophia Temporelli, on LiveParanormal.com Facebook fan page. To learn of the guests as we learn of them real time, and we'll see you next week. Hi, this is Debbie and Sion Ghost Adventures. You're listening to The Ghost Host with your host, Sophia Temporelli, on LiveParanormal.com. God bless you all. for joining us on History FM Radio on LiveParanormal.com and History.fm. From paranormal to the unexplained history, it all happens here. Looking to enhance your radio experience? Participate in live interactive chat 24-7 with our radio show hosts and other like-minded people on www.liveparanormal.com. The only interactive social chat room supported by full interactive media. Stop by now and join in on the fun.